Welcome to Evolve, reinventing leadership, building freedom cultures, with CEO and award-winning author, Yvette Bethel. This podcast is dedicated to providing leaders with solutions to build trust, inspire authentic transformation, and improve engagement. Learn about new and tested ways you can revitalize your culture, empower people, and transform your results. This is Yvette Bethel, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to Evolve. Evolve explores modern leadership topics and cultural transformation strategies that lead to strengthened work relationships, enhanced flow, and dynamic balance, all grounded in trust, integrity, and emotional mastery. We explore ideas that translate into practical applications for contemporary organizational challenges. The topic for this episode of Evolve is moving from me to we in leadership. And to explore this topic is change consultant, Joan Underwood. Now, Joan is the managing director, lead consultant, and co-founder of Underwood Talent Development Services. Like any other Renaissance woman, she is multi-talented, serving as president of the Antigua Barbuda Employers Confederation, receiving multiple awards in that capacity. Joan is a founding member and past president of the Professional Organization for Women in Antigua and Barbuda, and was a lecturer at the University of the West Indies Distance Education Undergraduate Management Science Program. She is now a facilitator and subject matter expert in the Cave Hill School of Business, Executive Diploma in Management, and Executive MBA courses. Joan served in numerous on numerous boards in the private and public sectors and as an ambassador to a number of Latin American countries. Wow, Joan. She's even she has even more experiences in leadership, but you have heard enough to know that she brings rich experiences as well as a theoretical understanding of leadership to this conversation. Hello, Joan, and welcome to Evolve. Hi. <laughs> That's Thank all you so much for inviting me. <laughs> it's so great to have you, uh, Joan. And, and just to get started, I'd like for you to share with our audience a little bit about how you became interested in helping leaders shift in this way, from me to we. Ah, the journey started quite some time ago. And uh, over my years as a manager and an HR practitioner, what I found is that managers were reluctant to embrace the people management component of their responsibility. They somehow saw that as being HR's responsibility. And then even as I journeyed with them to help to open that up and to show them you, the people who've been assigned to your team are essential to your success. You cannot succeed if your team does not succeed. So you have a vested interest in ensuring that you help each and every member of your team to, to maximize their individual potential. And for some, the transition was more challenging than in other cases. And what I found is that in those cases, there was a tendency 
to treat everyone as if they were a clone of yourself. Yeah. So what works for me is what I'm going to do for them. And of course it's going to work for them because that's what works for me. Mm -hmm. And we can understand why you might start out with such a premise, but um, it's painful if you don't quickly disabuse yourself of, of that notion because the motivation, you know, the value system of the people we encounter, the people we have on our teams, um, everyone's unique. Everyone has traveled a different journey to reach to where they are today. And that's reflected in how they look at, interact with, and interpret the work. And the sooner we as leaders understand that and seek to understand our people, the better it will be for us in terms of our leadership trajectory. You know, you're, you're talking about, um, it's kind of like the halo effect where this positive bias is coming into and sneaking into the organization through, through leaders. And it's creating a situation where people are bound by what you expect. And what you expect is that they reflect what you value. You exactly. know what I mean? So tell us a little bit about these uh, values and, and really how can, how, how can they begin to see when they are projecting their values onto others? By beginning to examine their own stories. We navigate life by telling ourselves stories, okay? And that's just what human beings do. We're exposed to a stimulus, to a circumstance, and we interpret that through the filters of our life experiences, the value systems that we hold. And the, the important thing to understand is that the story that you have written was not handed down on tablets of stone from Moses after going up the, to the mountain. It's simply your frame for navigating life. And everyone has a different frame. And the sooner we understand this and become curious about other people's frame and other people's stories, that's when we can have that breakthrough that can enable us to soar as leaders. Now, you've come across a whole lot of people. Can you give us an example of the type of narrative or story that people have playing in their minds, just so we can start seeing this for ourselves and not pointing to other people and saying, well, I see this and this one and that one, but you know, you're not seeing it in yourself. What are these narratives that, that are pervasive? Okay, so narratives often come to us because we are putting meaning into behavior that we've observed. Mm -hmm. So we see behavior in a direct report. So for example, a missed deadline. And we don't see intent, we don't see cause, we see the behavior, the outcome. The outcome is the missed deadline. The story we tell ourselves might be, this person is lazy, this person doesn't care, this person doesn't respect me. You, you get what, where I'm coming from. Yeah. Now, the other person's story may be, my mother was sick, you know, so I had to miss some time from work. My child, something happened there. Or it could be something completely unrelated to the story that I have told myself. And because I don't exercise any curiosity, because I treat my stories as gospel, mm -hmm. as, 
you know, they're found in the reference section of the library, not in the fiction section of the library. I may never find out what is really the truth behind the behavior that I observed. So we act, we treat this direct report now as if our story is their reality. And they have no clue why we're engaging or not engaging with them because they don't know the story. We didn't share it with them. It's all in here. <laughs> For example, their true story through their filter, their lens was a sick parent or child. Right. They now tell themselves a story that she doesn't care about me. She's unfeeling. She thinks I'm a machine. It's all about the job. Mm -hmm. So you see how if we don't have dialogue, open dialogue, where it's safe for each party to express what they're, the story, and to seek clarification on the story, then we could really be working at cross purposes to the detriment of the, the work environment, as well as the relationships within the work environment. You know, another another way that this can be imposed on people is through structures. And, and by structures, I'm talking about policies. So, for example, you have somebody who uh, is a manager or, or, yeah, a manager of people, and they have some policy around lateness, right? Mm -hmm. and the, the policy is so, uh, so, I don't know, strict is <laughs> a good word, that... If someone's five, 10, 15 minutes late, then you have to go through this process of writing them up and sending them up to HR or wherever it goes. And then uh, that person has a documented infraction, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in this case, uh, the, the manager feels they have to do it to cover themselves because if they're caught letting this one go, they'll get, you know, it'll come up somehow and it'll look like, you know, they're being unfair for some reason. So they feel threatened into uh, uh, doing this. So now they've taken the, the me position out of uh, a sense of, you know, I have to do this. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how, how managers can um, deal with that? Because the threat is real mm -hmm. in their minds and, and perhaps uh, it may be real in reality. <laughs> This is why it's important to strive for the balance between the relationship and the task mm -hmm. and to establish expectations with your direct reports and, and other members of your team. So if we're clear from the onset, these are the terms of engagement. These are the expectations that we have of you. This is why punctuality is so important. Here are the, here, here's how it impacts the team and the wider organization when we can't rely on you to be here when we need you to be here. Here's how it impacts our customers. So once we've established that foundation, those ground rules, then we have a platform for when there's deviation from that to have a conversation. Because you're not seeking to establish the rules at that point in time. The expectation was pre-existed so and it's important in having the initial conversation to come to it from a place of curiosity and non-judgment so to restate the expectation and to ask a question okay so and you're going to state what was observed not intention because you can't see intention you see behavior you can't see intention 
So we've established how important punctuality is, not just, you know, from your perspective, but for the entire team and the clients that we serve. Now, I've seen that over the past, how many weeks, there have been a number of instances where you've been tardy. And as anticipated, it has had some adverse consequences on the team. Um, what's going on? And it's an open-ended question. It's, if, if I close that down, um, it, did not, it would not allow for new information to come into my body of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Because if I ask a closed question, I'm presupposing what the parameters are. Yeah. By asking an open-ended question, what's going on? then the respondent can take it wherever he or she needs to take it based on what's happening with them, yeah. right? So this is yeah. the curiosity and the openness. Now, if I had not established a relationship of trust prior to that, they may not feel comfortable sharing what's going on. They may feel under threat in some way. So it's important, again, to balance the relationship and the rules and the tasks, okay? But at the end of the day, leaders must understand we have a wider responsibility to the organization, to the people whom the organization serves. So it's not as if you're going to be laissez-faire about it because you, you, you want to be liked, you want to be appreciated. No, it's the how of it as opposed to the what of it. And, and you, you, what, what I like about what you just said is, you know, you're, you're emphasizing relationships and that's how you move to the we. Uh, and, yep. and, and the road there, as you said, is going to be trust. Even if you show curiosity in a situation where trust is non-existent, exactly. it will be viewed as, some, as something suspicious. So the key to all of this is going to be uh, that relationship. That's at the heart. That's at the core of, of, of everything. And I, I'd like you to say a little bit more about the, the quality of that relationship. There, I, I used to raise dogs and, you know, I love them. So I use them a lot in my storytelling to illustrate the, the points. Because even if you're a cat lover as opposed to a dog lover, God knows why that would be the case. <laughs> but uh, you still relate. So in terms of emphasizing the importance of trust in a relationship and how relationships are so different with or without trust. So one of the things that dogs like is to have... Their, their tummies rubbed, okay? Now, if you have a trusting relationship, that dog will lie on his or her back and will open the forelegs to expose that tummy so that you can rub it. Now, yeah. they are their most vulnerable when they do that. Yeah. So if you don't have trust, no one's gonna expose their underbelly because you might cut it open. But if based on your past interactions, they know, listen, something good is going to come out of this, or at least no harm is going to come out of this. So yeah. it's safe to do right. this. Right. So if you haven't established that relationship like I would have with my dogs where they would see me and roll over onto their backs because they know they'd get a treat, they'd get a rub. Right. So it's the same thing. You have to do the work up front with your people so mm -hmm. that they feel safe safe enough to be willing to be vulnerable around you. And that opens up a whole realm of possibilities where both can benefit. What, is one, what are one or two practical steps that people can take to build that trust? 
trust also is predicated on, well, we tend to talk about trust as if it's a single thing. And I've come to the point where I see it as being multifaceted and, and mm -hmm. some of the, the parameters that are captured in there. For me, trust is in part about believing in the person's competence. So I trust Yvette when it comes to matters of coaching and advice on leadership because I know she's competent. If I had questions about your competence, there's certain things I wouldn't trust you to do or to lead me in because right. I didn't, I wouldn't think that you have the competence. So there's a competence component. Mm -hmm. All right. There's also a benevolence component. Mm -hmm. So you can be the most competent person in the world, but I think you have ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. Then I, my trust of you would be limited because I would be constantly wondering, okay, what's she up to? What harm is she likely to, to be aiming for with this? So mm -hmm. competence, benevolence. And in terms of your wishing me well, right? Because you mm -hmm. can be competent. You can generally be a good person. But for some reason, I just don't think you have my, my best interests at heart. So mm -hmm. then I'm not going to be as open with you. So it's important to be able to peel back the layers if there is a trust issue and see, okay, what's driving this? Because if it's a question about competence, you can, this is someone on your team, you mm -hmm. as the manager, as the leader, can stay, take steps to close that knowledge or skill gap that exists. And so then you would be able to, to get to the point where you say, I can trust this person to complete this task. Now, if you think the person has bad intentions, now that's a, a little bit more dicey. Or if you just think that the person is malevolent, that they, they have ill will generally, they're just not a good person, mm -hmm. those are harder obstacles to surmount. But it's really important for us to be able to peel back the layers to see, okay, what exactly is driving the lack of trust, either me for them or them for me, and to be able to have a conversation around it. Because the first thing is surfacing the issue before proceeding to resolve the issue. Yes. Yes. Now, let, let's uh, switch hats for a moment and, or in a sense, not, not quite yet, but just switch perspectives. And um, let's take a look at it from the, the employee's uh, perspective when you have a leader that's more I-focused versus we-focused. If that is the case, what happens? What are the risks that uh, will impact that leader when, uh, from the perspective of uh, the employees and, and how they perform? Okay. Now, the most common adverse consequence can be a lack of engagement on the part of the employees, all right? Because these employees, these direct reports are not clones of us. If we walk around treating everyone like a mini-me, we can see that people disengage. And employee engagement, the research has shown that one of the principal factors in either securing engagement or not is the relationship with the manager. And what are we talking about when we say employee engagement? It's that discretionary effort that one can leverage. And because, I mean, the name says it, when you say discretionary effort, the employee doesn't have to give that. It's up to him or her whether or not to go that extra distance. 
And they make that determination in large part based on the relationship. It's not the only factor, but it is, it is certainly one of the most significant factors, the nature of the relationship with the manager. Mm -hmm. So if you have a manager who doesn't take the time to get to understand the direct reports and the other members of the team, to get to understand what motivates them. Okay, some of us are motivated um, by the need for acknowledgement. Some are motivated by the need for achievement. And if we walk around treating everyone the same way, which is whatever our personal preference is, we're not going to be able to touch people, to reach people where they are so that they then feel motivated to go that extra mile for them. I'll, I'll tell you a, a true story in terms of my personal um, journey of learning and growth. Um, there was a point in time when I had to design uh, an employee recognition plan. And so we had quarterly awards and then it would roll up eventually to the annual award where we would recognize the employee of the year, the supervisor of the year. And so in designing the rewards for that program, I put in everything that I thought was wonderful and that people would appreciate. Right. Yeah. And so I designed the program, rolled it out, and I wasn't getting the results that I had anticipated after coming up with all these fabulous ideas about you know so what was wrong with these people why they were just jumping at the opportunity to win these you know simply fantastic prizes and so when i took the pulse and i was like nah after the first quarter i'm not seeing the response i'd anticipated so then i did a focus group and i asked them okay what what's going on here and they were like, you know, the prizes don't really mean that much to us. And I was like, you know, you're Philistines. What do you mean? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to you. You know, weekend at a, you know, at a hotel, wonderful hotel doesn't mean anything to you. And they said to me, so what am I going to do with my children when you send my husband off for right. a romantic weekend? See, not having children, that never even occurred to me. Because if I want to take a getaway weekend, I take a getaway weekend. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, some people don't appreciate massages. I had loaded up the program with all the things that I liked. And so, yes, certainly there were some people out there who were like me and liked them too, but it excluded everyone else. And so when I asked them, okay, so what types of um, rewards would you appreciate? And I tell you, if you had given me a million guesses, I would not have guessed the answer that I got most often. And that's because it simply didn't factor into my frame. Mm -hmm. And that was, we would like to have the exec your executive parking space. So my executive parking space was a given. So, you know, so I was like, why is that important? They said, when you come to work, you're guaranteed somewhere to park. Uh -huh. Because parking is so difficult. We have to leave home, you know, half an hour earlier than we normally would. We have to get the kids out of the house earlier, take them to school earlier than we would necessarily like to, so that we can then come into town and try and find somewhere to park. If you gave me as a reward your parking space for a week, for a month, however long you gave me that, my kids and I would have a better quality of life because we could have a more relaxed start to the morning. Like I said, if I had... Give, been given a million chances to guess, I would never have thought of that. 
And that's because I was looking at the, the world from my position as opposed to seeing the world as other people saw it. Uh. Once we changed up, you know, the reward system, I mean, people were doing, going above and beyond because that executive parking spot, that they would get that spot for a month and everyone would know, hey, I'm parking in an executive parking spot because I was a good employee, a good supervisor. And so, again, it's moving from the I-frame to the we-frame and the discretionary effort that um, was unleashed mm -hmm. from listening and accepting what I heard mm. was phenomenal. You know, when we think about it, that's, that's a powerful story. Let me just say that first. Um, that's so powerful because it's so typical for people who are making decisions to make the decisions without the input of the people that are being affected. And they feel that that's not appropriate. And in some cases, it's like, oh, my God, ask them. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, but what I was going to ask you, you know, when we think about moving from that whole me mentality to we, we think that, you know, okay, well, we're moving, so that means we leave something behind. And really, this is not that the case. We're, we're, we're moving toward a healthy I and a we coexisting. And, and, and I'd like for you to share a little bit on that. Yeah, uh, that's such an important point. And I, I'd like to add to it as well. And um, I, lo I love using stories and metaphors because I find that, you know, people relate so well to them. And so the, the image that I use that, that I, I think captures the essence of, of, of what's happening in terms of the, the concern about leaving something behind. We're not asking that or suggesting that you leave behind something that's essential. Right? And if... The, the metaphor that I would use is, is packing for a trip. So if you're, you're going to take a trip, you have carry-on luggage and you may have check luggage. Mm -hmm. And so as someone who travels expensively for work, um, the mental process that I go through when I'm preparing for a trip in terms of deciding what goes into my carry-on is if I got to my destination and I didn't have this, would I be able to function in the way that I need to function? Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, that's carry on. If the answer is yes, that can go and check luggage because I can survive and I can perform without it. Right. It will not diminish me. It right. will not adversely impact my performance or the outcome of this trip if right. I showed up and that wasn't there with me. But there's some things that are absolutely going to stay with me. And that's the distinction we make we can make as we transition from I to we. There's some aspects of your I that you do not relinquish for anything because they're part of your identity, they're part of your core value system. You don't let those go. But there are other things you can put in the check luggage. You can pick it up at the other end and use it and it'll be okay. But if you don't need it for this trip, you don't need to put it in your carry-on luggage. Right? So and the Oh, go ahead. No, no, you got it. So for the carry-on, right? Um, just so people can understand, holding on to that thing is uh, that makes you you is important. 
Yes. But if that thing that makes you you is being expressed in an unhealthy way, what do you suggest? Then we need to, because the things that we carry around with us, they may be use, they may have been very useful up to this point in the journey. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you absolutely need them for the next part of the journey. It's situational. Okay, so remember, we're not talking about our core values here. We're talking about the other things that help to make up, you know, who, how we show up as leaders. And being able to make that distinction is absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. Because there's some things that you can let go of, especially when you weigh in the balance what the cost of not letting go is. Because if you're interacting with someone and, and this thing is an obstacle for your team, it has served you well in the past, it helped you to get where you are, but in this context, in this situation, it is no longer serving either your best interest or the best interests of the team. Yeah. So it's something that in the interest of the bigger picture, you can say, okay, I can put this down for now, or maybe for the rest of the journey, because it served its usefulness. Now, I no longer need this in order to be able to complete the journey. Yeah, so it, just to clarify for the audience then, what does a healthy me look like and what does a healthy we disposition look like? Okay, so I will begin with self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it, it's important to be able to have that knowledge of self, which comes from a place which is more than just your perspective. So, because very often we don't realize how we show up, we all have blind spots. Yeah. Right. And so it's important to create the environment where you can bring that awareness to yourself by being open to feedback from those who interact with you. And not just your fan club either, right? <laughs> because it's important to be, to be able to, to get feedback that might not be that easy to hear. Yeah. Right? And um, so to create that space on an ongoing basis for people to be able to give you that feedback. So that's why it's important. To, to have mentors, to have, and I, I think as women, and, and I, I, this is my experience, that I have some sister friends who I, I just can't imagine life without them because they will celebrate you, but they will call you out when you know, you're just messing up. And so it's important to get that feedback in a caring um, relationship so that you know there's no malice there so coming back to the trust thing there's complete trust because I know this person wishes me well and mm -hmm. there is no ulterior motive in yeah. this feedback so I can look at it in a dispassionate way and see okay how can I self-correct now that I'm aware that I may be showing up in a way that isn't intentional yeah you know so having the ability to, to come to a higher level of self-awareness is essential. However, that's not where it ends because there needs to be action that follows that. So I can be aware that I'm presenting in a way that doesn't exactly 
be um, endear me to others, but then don't care. So in addition to the self-awareness, the self-regulation is important so that I can, you know, turn it up a notch if I need to or turn it down a bit if I need to do that as well in order to have the desired outcomes. Mm -hmm. So in terms of a strong eye, a productive eye, a winning eye needs self-awareness. It also needs self-regulation. And I, I think it also needs... Uh, um, alignment with your sense of purpose because if you have a strong sense of self but in terms of who you are but you don't understand or have any strong feeling about why you have been placed on this earth and what it is that you want to accomplish through your life mission then you could be all over the place and alignment is is so important from from my perspective and you need to be aligned to some North Star. So what is it that lets you know whether you are on course, you are on track? Yeah. And for some, for some people, it's faith, you know, whatever you call it, there needs to be something bigger than yourself yeah. that helps yeah. to guide and determine what your ultimate path will be. Don't forget the, the healthy we now. <laughs> yeah. so I, okay, so come into that. So then the thing is, Human beings are social by nature. Mm -hmm. We weren't meant to go through life alone and without interacting with others. Mm -hmm. So when, when we're looking at how do the, my sense of self, my self-awareness now, my self-regulation, how does it relate to the world outside of me, right? Then we begin to, to create space for others to be a part of that wider journey, that, that existence, and to complement and supplement and enrich our own efforts in the process. Mm -hmm. And you get to the point where it, it's, it's not linear, it becomes exponential. Because when everyone is contributing to, to that journey, when everyone is contributing to the pursuit of that goal, then you know you open up so much more in terms of the possibilities and again as social beings it's, it's just so much more enjoyable when there's someone else to help to celebrate the accomplishments and even when you know there are obstacles there are stumbles to have someone to to share that with as well mm -hmm. oh wow joan <laughs> You're nailing it. <laughs> I think uh, the, the last question I have for you is what's after this, if someone's listening to us in this conversation, what's the one thing that if they forget everything else, what's the one thing that you want them to remember? The one, I would say that there's a bit of a paradox because while leadership you might think, okay, my leadership is about me. It's not, it's about others. Mm -hmm. And so the, the one thing I would encourage, you know, leaders, and you don't, don't think that you have to have a big fancy title and the executive parking space to be a leader. You can be leading wherever you are in terms of, because leadership is about, um, 
influence. Yeah. We all have the ability to influence within our own spheres. Yeah. Okay. So you, so again, while the tendency might be to think it, it's all about me, you can't lead if you're, if you don't have anyone who's willing to follow you to be influenced by you. That's right. And so expand the frame to think about others. Yeah. So, and it, again, it's transitioning from the I to the we. If it was just, if it were just you, you wouldn't have the need for the word leadership. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's, you can't be a leader unless you are mindfully, consciously thinking about the people that you're seeking to lead. Yeah. And how this, how you, the way you show up is impacting, influencing, motivating, or going in the other direction, mm -hmm. right? So the one thing, while you might think it's all about you, it's not. Remember the we. Remember the we. Powerful, powerful closing words, Joan. And with that, I'd like to thank you for such an empowering interview. Your insights will certainly help our audience to develop the skills they need to create healthy cultures. This has been Yvette Bethel and Joan Underwood. And we thank you for taking the time to join us on Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures. Thanks for listening to Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures. Visit ifbcentral.com to learn more about how you can reinvent your leadership and transform your team, starting with trust.